Hi, folks. Welcome back. Or if this is your first time, welcome to Stories to Tell with John Lincoln. It's our second episode. Between you and me, I'm still pinching myself that it's real. Hey, it's spring. Maybe not quite where you are, but still, it's spring. And that has me thinking. Thinking about when, a number of years ago, I was digging in the dirt in my garden, sneezing from the pollen, burning from the sun, and being so happy to be outside in the warmth. So I wrote a little poem. Have a listen. Spring has sprung. Ah, warm's begun. This early time in garden's prime, without a care for pollen air, we dig the dirt and sow the seed and satisfy our nature's need. To tend and toil the waking soil, sunblock to foil the sun's hot coil, to be outdoors, no more to plead, we satisfy our nature's need. The squirrels do flirt and bore the dirt for presents known and holes their own. The birds, they sing their songs of spring, no more to want for anything. Though bent backs ache and pale skins bake and spades may cake and rakes may break, to bask in sun, oh joy, such fun. For spring has sprung, ah, warms begun. And this time of year means bunny. Sure, the ones in, in your yard. I think that Easter one too. But another one, my guest, Bunny Gregory, artist and wise woman, my friend. Welcome to the podcast, Bunny. It is so great to have a chance to chat with you. I was just going to say good morning, John. <laughs> good morning. It is a lovely, sunny day outside. I, I hope it's a nice day for everyone who's listening in, in whatever location you are. You know, you know Bunny, I, I very intentionally chose you to be my first guest on Stories to Tell. And I, I did that because, one, I have fallen in love with you. And I want everyone to know you. And I love local art and artists and the stories of who they are. And, you know, everyone de deserves, I think, a chance to be known and to be seen. But really, I just wanted an excuse to chat with you. <laughs> and we've been trying, right? We have. We've been trying. So, funny story. And this really speaks to who Bunny is, um, and we'll we'll talk about that more in just a minute. But just the story of getting us a chance to actually sit down and do this. You want you want to mention what happened the other day with your grandkids and, oh. and getting ready to come over here? Well, yeah, I mean, it was my intention to bring them with me, or four of them with me, um, because John has all these cool animals, and they are animal lovers and we're walking out the door and nobody's brushed their teeth nobody's washed their faces nobody's combed or brushed their hair they have on clothes that are too small one of them has on the eight year has my t-shirt on 
which is way too big. And yeah, I was like, no, you're not going with me. (laughs) And And then what about a laptop? Yeah. And uh, as a matter of fact, I have to apologize for that because he did put the laptop in the car. He did. Yeah, but they covered it up (laughs) with something else that was in the car and it was in a weird place. So I didn't look for it. I didn't look. I look like they usually look for things. So you accused them of something that didn't happen? I did, I did. But I didn't apologize to them because... They didn't brush their teeth or comb their hair. No. (laughs) (laughs) I had to make a whole extra trip to drop them off somewhere because I refused to bring them, so... And now you're here now. Yes. Well, here we are. So are you at all nervous? Have you been on a podcast before? I have, but I'm always nervous in front of a microphone like i'm seriously a behind the scenes person yeah so yeah i'm just glad this is not video well you (laughs) but you are coming through loud and clear so and and really this is only my second episode so let's just hold hands and go for it sound good i'm ready all right so big bunny bunny gregory Take us back to the world of Little Bunny, say four or five years old. So sort of who were you? What did you see? What did you do? What were you like? Um, I was definitely energetic. Uh, my brother, uh, my younger brother, was a, a year and a month younger than me. And he was my person. Um, and we got into a lot of trouble. I remember us getting in a lot of trouble um when i was three and i don't i don't remember a lot about three and four other than just he and i being very close um but i lost my sight in my left eye um when i was three playing with a little dog my step-grandmother's dog and she was one of these people with plastic on her furniture. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, we know it well. Like, she had this perfectly manicured dog. And I now thinking back, it's probably good she had plastic on her furniture because it was a big joke to us, even as little kids, to, like, try to slide off the furniture. <laughs> like, yeah, you were kids, so, right? But I, and people often ask me, like, so I was scratched in the eye by the dog and lost the sight in my left eye. And people now ask me, Are, do you, you must hate dogs. I don't hate dogs at all. I am so sure my brother and I were freaking terrorizing that dog. <laughs> We, I'm sure I deserve this. <laughs> no, well, I love dogs. Well, so as you went about being you, did you, were you doing a five-year-old's version of art in those days? I mean, were you being creative and writing on walls or did you? I think I always was. Yeah. I, I remember I always, had, well, one of the things my mom always done, cause she was in nursing school at the time and she worked. Um, we actually were allowed to go to class with her 
at Central Piedmont. Um, and we sit in the back of the class on the floor. She packed a blanket for us to sit on. Um, we always had paper, pencils, and crayon or markers or something like that, and books to read. So we were, even before we could read, we were like thumbing through books. And she kept us busy, and the people in the class liked us. So I guess we were fairly good kids. <laughs> we tried to behave. And that was, I will say, one of the things that my dad would say when we left the house with my mom, her best friend was a white lady, Malou. It was, she's Auntie Malou. She's in Boston now. And we still talk. We go visit her. And during that time, she would watch us when Mama was in class sometimes. And Mama would watch her son sometimes. So they just helped each other out. But every time my dad knew that we were leaving the house, he would say, don't y'all act up out there in front of those white folks. Wow. Now, we could be going to family's house or anywhere else that he didn't assume there would be white people, and he'd never say anything. Like, so I guess my brother and I just determined that it was okay to act a fool in front of everybody else. <laughs> what do you... <laughs> So was he, do you think he was trying to protect you from the bigger world? I I think that was part of it. But after growing up and knowing my dad, he it was all about him not being embarrassed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's five-ish. So do you, how does it go from there? Um. I guess I was about six uh, the first time my father molested me. And it kind of went on off and on, not not necessarily frequently, but enough for like three years. Um, and I'd, um, I actually done this piece with Andrea Downs, uh, who started airing out the dirty laundry. Um, she's amazing. Um, so this was, this piece was, I could describe it, but basically it was a little money in the dark. And then you see this monster standing in the doorway and the light coming through the doorway. And, um, one of the things I wrote on it was that it was never the darkness that scared me. It was always the light. Because mm. every time that door would open, that for some reason I don't, I'm not even sure why, the light in our hallway was always on. So, I would literally kind of, I felt like I was hidden in the dark. I guess, um, I can remember being under the covers and just sweating, like just really hot. But I was always under the cover. Um, even now, once it gets hot, I keep my room really cold because I won't take the the blanket off. I just, I need to be under that. Safe. Right. Yeah. Oh, I, the image, the image is so powerful of light coming through that door that opens and light's supposed to be light. Yeah. Light's supposed to be 
illuminating and good and that's such a contrast between the way things we we sort of think about things and the reality and the oh my gosh so and and you were so young i mean you you hadn't reached puberty yet so to wonder about this like why this is happening or how scary it is there's it would be I, I mean I can't imagine what it would be like to be in puberty and go through that because then there's all the sexual yeah. stuff that goes with it. Um but it but before that as a little kid that's just so it seems so confusing. It, it is. It, it because I I don't think there's a moment after you're born and you spend any amount of time with either one of your parents that you don't feel like that person is supposed to protect you or take care of you. So like, I, you're just, it's like a kitten or a puppy, you know, that this bigger thing like you is going to take care of you or you, you should, they should, or, I don't know like how to explain it, but I, I feel like Well that's what parents I mean, Yeah. That's what parents that's what parent animals do in the wild. They care for them until they're ready until to they go. don't need to. Yeah. And with humans, there's even in us to continue long after you know your child is okay or grown or can definitely fend for themselves, you still look out for them you still want to make sure they're okay so that is super confusing you know what i hear you saying parallels who i see and i think people see in you today caring for your your family your grandkids and all the extended grandkids kind of you've adopted through your art over time i mean that you're doing exactly you're you're actually providing the light in a in a nurturing in a caring in a a way that promotes their sense of creativity and encourages that versus the the light being scary and and frightening it's so it's so heartening to hear so anytime someone stops the cycle because that's the only way it stops, right? I mean, oh, wow. So how did that impact you as you were growing a little bit older and um, as you, you know, as you maybe moved into your teens or thereabouts, did it affect your outlook? Oh, yeah. I was definitely very angry. Um. And honestly, I I don't even think I knew why. I know I didn't know why. I just was. Um, even after the physical abuse stopped, um, at that point, like as at nine years old, I it, I think the physical abuse stopped. Like my father physically touching me stopped because I said to him one night, and I I was. Just he and I 
and then my brother and sister were there and it was late so they were asleep and I yelled out and I said if you ever touch me again I will kill you wow I will kill you and a nine-year-old having to say yeah even now the thought of that just makes me cringe because I was nine and that was my father but I just, at that point, he didn't touch me anymore, but he proceeded to treat me like I was, he couldn't stand the air I breathed. He was, he just was, he he was horrible to me. And even my sister, who's six years younger than me, um, just maybe a couple years ago when I really told her what happened, she said to me, I remember us at the table, which is we were at dinner one night. He wasn't there. And I don't even remember why we started arguing, but me and my mom and my brother was yelling. And um, I just screamed out something about, well, your husband messes with me. He touches me all the time. And she, her, reaction was are you sure it wasn't your brother oh (laughs) i was hello yeah i'm kind of sure pretty sure oh my gosh um and my sister remembered that as a child because i was probably at that point maybe 12 which she would have been about six and she she said, I could remember, but I, I always thought maybe it was something I dreamed or I'm remembering wrong. And she said to me, I hated the way they treated you. And it it was like this weird rock was lifted off my shoulder and I felt so much better that I wasn't crazy. Like I didn't imagine that they were treating me badly, but it also, it was like one of those best and worst day mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. But the good part was that my sister said, cause I thought for the longest time, my sister didn't like me. I think she didn't know how to deal with the way I was dealing with stuff which was fair. I was horrible. I, I wasn't, I would, I'd done big sister things to her. Like we pick at her and stuff, but I do realize some things were just extra and she was definitely very spoiled, which also made me feel some kind of ways. Like what is it about her and my brother that they get this, and and I get what I got. So, yeah, it was weird. It was totally confusing. It was, it was crazy. crazy. You know, the I'm, what I'm struck by is the brilliance in a kid coping with this horrific thing that they can't contextualize. And so... They feel alone, um, and 
so the way to cope is to internalize it and make it about them, right? I mean, it must be something they're doing. It absolutely. Um, that was even more prominent for me because my mom, <clears throat> who I mentioned earlier, was in nursing school. Well, she was a nurse. And even at some point in my life, she became an advocate for children uh, for social service. And she never, like, even when finally, just not that long ago, we started to really talk about things and confront it, she said to the therapist, well, I asked her, did she want me to get her some help? And this came from a woman who advocated for kids that were being abused or, or mistreated. And I was just like, okay, I don't need to be to be a therapist to know that that's bullshit. That's crazy. Yeah. That, yeah. That you would even say that. Yeah. Oh, it just speaks to all the, that, that unspoken guesswork that happens in families and stuff that when there's this darkness that doesn't get exposed and then I go back to that light, it needs the light of truth, yeah. right? And yet the light represents the something scary part. awful. So, oh my gosh. So as you have grown older and wiser and more bunny, and by the way, where does bunny come from? Uh, my grandma, my mom's mama, um, when I was born, started calling me bunny before they even decided on a name. And it just stuck. I don't know why, but that's who I was. And it's who you are because I, I, it is this, it's, it conjures so much wonderful sort of feel. And then it's like you just step right into it and it's you. And I love yeah. that about you. I, I often say maybe it's the name God gave me because I ended up with eight children in my house, two of which I had. The other ones were just, I guess, kids that needed somebody. And uh, they and I, I never wanted children. I never wanted children. Wow. I, the way I grew up, I had just decided I wasn't going to have any kids. I'm so scared that I'm going to do something to fuck them up. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, like, I was terrified about that. And after I had my two people, they just kept coming. And so I even my, my grandkids now, I have 32 and one great-grand. And they, my are my stepkids' children. And there was one incident where my oldest stepdaughter, um, her daughter, which would be my oldest granddaughter, my oldest grandchild, actually, she um, came home and she was, my, my daughter comes home and the child is just bawling, just crying. And she says, um, Grandma Jackie, who is her my daughter's real mom 
told her that I wasn't her real grandma. And it made her so mad and she cried. And it also made Ava, my daughter, mad. And she told her, like, that is her grandma. Why would you tell her that? Like, she does everything a grandma does. And she asked her, why Why did she tell her that? Well, Chris Style, who was doing a report for school, was to write the report on somebody she admired that, like, she learned, you know, like, somebody she cared about. And it was me. <laughs> and it made Jackie mad. <laughs> because. Because it wasn't her. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, the tangled webs we weave and the games yeah. we play and the ways we interpret. I, I just keep going back. It just strikes me how, how kids are so resilient mm-hmm. and they, it's just so brilliant in terms of coping. You know, the thing, the very thing that's harmful for them because they take this on themselves, this, this fault or, you know, whatever mm-hmm. is the way. They have to. Yeah, they have, they to, have to because you can't, they can't see what's really going on. And if they did, you'd probably just dissolve into a just give like, up. You just give up. I, I, but you can. Oh, it, and it takes a long time to work through that stuff. It does. I, I do believe that kids internalize things sometimes because like you said it's scary for a child to think that my parents actually don't give a shit about me that's a super crazy thought when you know even as a child there are so many things you can't do without them and this is what you got so it makes you feel like I mean I do believe like we're born with something that makes us think these people are going to protect us. And when that doesn't happen, you think it's something you've done. And I, as far as my being able to cope, I am so grateful for art and creativity. That's so incredibly important for me um, to and working with kids in the community and stuff. I, it saved my life. It saved my life. It kept me from hurting someone else. Um, just to be able to close my door and create stuff. And I think I told you, like, initially, I started taking things apart and rearranging them or rebuilding them to kind of piss them off. <laughs> <laughs> And they ended up liking it, so it was kind of a, uh, it, it made me mad, <laughs> but it also was a good feeling to see that I'd done stuff that people liked. It was like I changed the dresser in a way that they liked it better than they did when they bought it, so that was a good thing for me, a good feeling for me. So. Well, so it's so fun for me, and for, uh, I just want to talk a second about how we met. Um, so picture this, there is a community, uh, bodega called common market. Um, uh, 
a couple of them, but what several of them, but one in particular Bunny was at. And the reason she was there was that a group of us volunteers sort of adopted this area of town, this stretch of corridor, and 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 we're working to promote it. And one of the ways we wanted to promote it was through art, stitching together this long stretch of road with with art that was different, but that represented the sense of community. And we found through connections, which is always what happens, Miss Bunny Gregory and Ms. Uh, Milan Din, who I'll put her information in, in the show notes as well. Uh, Milan is like incredible. Incredible. She's incredible. Well, Bunny's part in this was to be the sort of community engagement person to bring art, art ideas, sort of creative ideas to this project we were doing to create murals on sidewalks. Well, actually, it was in crosswalks, actually on the street in the crosswalks. <laughs> well, hello, that's probably not the best idea for us to think about. There are cars that drive over those things, like want to be driving over them when you're actually painting. So it's the whole traffic thing. But then they wear down too, right? So the city said, oh, no. And what I love is that Bunny regrouped. Like, you, you had done all this work to design these with these the input of people and then we changed directions and you did not complain once i think you might have rolled your eyes at like oh or or maybe your eyes got big at oh we got to redo this stuff but then you redid it which is anyway that's i digress let me get back to what i saw so this pickup truck drives up and it is filled with <laughs> stuff and this woman gets out of the pickup truck and she's got dreadlocks that are pulled up with a bandana wrapped around them. So they, they sort of are saying hello, poking up and out and stuff. And she's smaller and solid and she's ready to go in her, like, I'm going to be working garb. She starts hauling stuff out of this thing. She starts setting it up and then begins engaging with the people who are there, these parents who've brought their kids to actually provide input to these mural designs that, that you and uh, Milan were going to be doing. And I watched you, Bunny, interact with these people and, and the kids like having so much fun in the mess that they were doing. And the parents, what I loved was that it was like the little nudge and the opportunity that you gave for kids allowed the parents to be little kids all of a sudden. Did you? Did you I feel did. That? It almost always works out that way. They never, especially the dads, it's like, I just buy them to paint. I'm not going to participate. And just a little nudging, they almost always do. And they enjoy it. They sometimes do more than one piece. They get more, they get crazier than the kids. <laughs> like, and for yeah. an adult to do, to like become a kid again, yeah. 
Yeah. Because we forget, I think as adults, we forget how to be kids. We forget we how do. to have fun. We do. It's, um, that's the great thing. That was one of the cool things about having the truck and now the bus is that the kids are like the adults can be very like, oh my God, don't drop anything on her floor or whatever. And the kids realize right away that, no, I think it's okay. I, I think she's okay with it. well say more about the bus so um the truck was kind of my first bus it was my I decided after um, after doing this underground uh venue a physical venue for it actually started for black artists I didn't know where black artists were in Charlotte I grew up here there wasn't a big scene for black artists. Um, but then we opened the underground and it was so full with black artists. It was so diverse from different cultures. The ages range from, Oh God, people that were old enough to drive to people that were too old to drive. (laughs) So, and they were all just kind of chilling in the same space doing art. There'd be talks about politics and religion and all these different people with all these different views never once had any fights. And wow. I thought this would be so cool if younger kids, because again, thinking about how art just basically saved my life. It would be so cool if younger kids could engage. And there's so many kids here in Charlotte whose families don't have money for classes and camps and all that extracurricular stuff. On top of the fact that some of these people are working 12 hours plus a day Mm -hmm. and they still got to get home. They got to feed these kids, get them ready for the next school day and and be able to get their own stuff ready for the next work day probably not going to pack them in the car and take them to paint or drum or garden or whatever. So I thought, you know what? Let's pack a bunch of shit in the back of the truck (laughs) and go there and go to the neighborhood, to the park, to the parking lot at the grocery store, whatever, and set up a table and the kids will walk by and go like, Hey, what's this? And they participate. And then, the bus. And then the bus. I thought, you know what? I want a bus. I want to have something that it doesn't matter if it's rain or shine. They can, I can set the tables up on the bus and they get on and we'll play in the rain and do whatever. And they loved it. I am, <laughs> as you know, <laughs> not a person that gives a lot of thought or preparation to things I just kind of feel a need for something and I set out to to fill it um so the bus became more of a financial responsibility than I could handle and I got a lot of help from community like supplies and things like that and people donating money here and there but it just wasn't steady enough for me to continue and just last year, um, geez, I, just I think it was over in November, uh, 
Um, I, I got a grant from Charlotte is Creative, which was the CEI grant, the um, Creative Entrepreneurs Initiative. And I learned so much about shit I didn't even know I needed to know. And it really taught me some hard truths about what I was doing and how I was doing it and decided that I was going to let the bus go. And it was not an easy decision. It literally took me two months, if not more, from the time that I actually made the decision to post it for sale. And I didn't tell anybody Mm. because I didn't want anybody to discourage my decision because it was the one decision I made out of actual fact, like learning some stuff and knowing I need to do this in this manner. Like I need to take these steps if I'm going to do this. So it was truly based in real fact stuff I needed to do. So I posted it, and one of the first uh, people that reacted was Trisha Tam, whom I love, like, who's part of you guys' group, Mora, uh, the Monroe Road Advocates. Um, She reached out, DM'd me, and she was like, no, it can't happen. (laughs) I can hear that. Let me, we're gonna, I'm gonna call some people. There's gotta be organizations that would be willing to help you. I know they are. You do so much and blah, blah, blah. And she got on the phone and Facebook and started calling people. And another friend of mine, Marcus Kaiser, who is um, just graphic artist extraordinaire. I love Marcus. I've known him for years. Um, His cousin family is uh, Tiffany Fant with Soul Nation. And she also was one of the first, second people that hit me. And her post just simply said, hold on. And I thought, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Marcus did the same thing. He got on social media and he started reaching out to people and saying, no, we got to help her. She's not getting rid of this bus. No, we need it. It's a good thing. And Tiffany DM me and she's like, we want to buy the bus. And before I actually talked to her, a couple people were hitting me and it's like, is it still available? They wanted to do stuff like uh, the party bus and things. I was like, and I was crying. <laughs> like, no, I don't want to do this, but I need to do this. I can't care what they're going to do with it. I got to oh, let go. Got to let go. Oh. So Soul Nation hit me. And she was like, you put it up, post it, it's sold. It's done. We're going to buy the bus. And we worked out a great contract. I actually even have the option of buying the bus back in a year or so. So they're going to they, – taking over the financial responsibility and she said it's not just the bus we want we need you so i'm 
still able to do what I was doing with the bus and working with the people I was already working with and not having to deal with the day-to-day responsibility of uh, finance and upkeep and stuff. So, Oh my gosh, this, this story is so heartwarming and so real to me. I, what, what's, what's, it's just so amazing is how in life sometimes we have to kind of hit that reality wall with our dreams sometimes. And that can feel really alone. And and then once we've sort of, what I hear is once you sort of hit that place, you needed a chance to hold on to it and really make it solid so that you could move forward. And then for the very reason that people love you, they swoop in and they try to dissuade you or change your mind or be supportive. Right. Yeah. And you know, in your gut that you can't do what you just can't sustain what they're suggesting. Right. Exactly. So you make a decision to move forward and let go. And then out of, I don't know. Yeah. You never know where these things come from. Do you? I swear the universe just opened up. I, it was the weirdest thing. Like I, I cried even more <laughs> because I couldn't believe the outcome of me just taking an initiative to do the thing I needed to do. And that's been something really hard for me in my life. It's just embracing the hard thing. Like I don't, and my sister said to me, um, I wish I was more like you, which was so super weird to me because the whole time we were growing up in the same household, I wished I was more like her. And I, as we've gotten older, I realized how different we are. And I also realized how much we can help each other because of those differences. I don't have to be like her and she doesn't have to be like me. There's a, there's a balance and we're both working on that. And she was one of the people that I didn't even talk to her. I didn't tell her I was selling the bus because she's my voice of reason. She's my, you know what? That might be a good idea. This, you need to give yourself. She's the one that does shit the right way. (laughs) (laughs) She wishes that she can sometimes be the one who just does it. Yeah, is more creative and lets it go kind of thing, which is you. Yeah, so we help each other now with that, and we're doing things together. But she's definitely my. Oh no, we're not. We're not gonna do that. And I'm definitely like, no, this time. But yeah, this how we're gonna do this. (laughs) So we balance each other out really well. So that's going on, and which is, yay. I mean, what else, what other word is there? But yay for you and yay for the world and yay for the kids that you're going to be continuing to work with and inspire and help stimulate. 
yep. creativity and all that, all that stuff. So who's inspiring you and who's been, I mean, you, you mentioned some folks who've, who've been helpful, but is there a person who's been really inspiring yeah. for you of late? Um, my best friend and business partner, but mostly my best friend, um, Milan Dean, she is and has always been my biggest fan. She has believed in me at times when I just didn't think much of anything I did. I was, I think a lot of times I would just be on autopilot. Mm. It's like I never um, strayed away from a job because I always felt like I look at things and I'm like, yeah, I can do it. And I pretty much could, but I don't know how much um, I put into that. Like, I don't know that it necessarily made me feel good that I could do it as much as it made, it made other people would say things like, Oh my God, I can't believe you did that. Or, that's incredible. But in my mind, I, I feel like sometimes because it was so easy for me to do that it wasn't that incredible. Mm. Like oftentimes I have to stop myself when I'm working with other people. I'm just like, why can't you do this? It's like so easy. But I realize now that what's so easy for me is not necessarily so easy for someone else. Like, you setting up these microphones, this would never have happened. <laughs> if we'd, it were me. we'd be talking in silence here to, to folks. Yeah, almost <laughs> definitely. Well, I haven't gotten it quite right yet. <laughs> folks are probably hearing a bit of an echo. I, mean, I promise I'll get it right next time. But Milan is is my person. She not only, to, it's different when family and friends are telling you how awesome something you've done is. But she's not just that person. She's also the person that's like, no, Bun, it's, you could have done that better. Mm. She's she's what uh, Tim Miner from Charlotte is Creative. When we done the um, CEI class, he said to us, everybody needs a broccoli person. And he was like, if you don't know what that is, that's the friend that will tell you you have broccoli in your teeth. <laughs> what a great analogy. And he said, we all need that friend. Yeah. She is my broccoli person. <laughs> and I know when she's, um, it's always encouraging. I She's never told me anything. She always says, like, I know I'm getting ready to get my ass kicked because she goes, Bun, you know I love you. <laughs> I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> what did I or didn't I do? Because here it comes. But she's just like, no, I need you to do this. And I need to see it by this day or this time. And no, it's get it done and it it's because she knows you can do it she, and she believes in you yeah. right i mean that's not a her agenda thing no it's not at all it's she any a lot of times when you get advice from people or 
encouragement, it it strikes me at times as superficial because it always comes back to that person somehow. And it's never that with her. She never compares my work and hers. She understands that what we do is completely different, which is, um, I'm sure people look at the difference in our work and wonder how we work together. We work together great because I know what I do. She knows what she does. And that's what we do. And so you work together um, creating murals throughout the Charlotte area. And what's the name of your your business? Uh, Mural Ninjas. Mural Ninjas. Yeah. You can check us out at mural underscore ninjas. Dot com. Dot com. Or Instagram. Okay. Well, we'll we'll post that as well in the show notes. But it makes me so happy to see the two of you. Just as a person who has benefited from being around you to watch that, but to watch you you guys also create together in your own ways, it's it's kind of magical how that happens. And isn't that the truth about creativity? It is kind of magic. It is definitely magic. <laughs> it, it is. I mean, us working together, stuff that goes in the community, like I said, Oftentimes, parents bring the kids, and they're just, they're like, especially at a place, if it's at a brewery or something, they're thinking, I'm, I'm going to sit and drink beer while they create. And they just, they it takes them the whole time to drink one beer because <laughs> now they're participating, and they don't, they just want to be a part of it. And that that is the magic of creativity that's the magic of community we are all so different but we are all so much alike we just I don't know just want to be happy and I think we all want to be accepted and when when you just like some the first things people say they always say well I can't paint Mm. I don't think anything I do is gonna you're going to end up using, but they still participate. And turns out those are usually the ones that get used because they wanted to participate. They didn't feel forced. They didn't feel like they had to compete with the the lead artists. Um, They just wanted to do it and have fun. You know, I find that with, it's very similar and there are probably a number of people listening who are, who write, let's put it that way, um, who hesitate to call themselves writers. I know I went through that as I, you know, was beginning to write. I, I, I just couldn't bring myself to say, I am a writer, you know. I, what is that, four words? I am a writer. And yet, I was writing. Well, hello, if you're writing, you're a writer. You're a writer. Now, are you a published writer? Are you as... Uh, well known as these other writers, we can compare all day, and that there's no real, there's no real value in comparing ourselves with others. Not you know, I mean, really, it's not about who not they are; all. it's about who you are and what you're bringing. And I love, I love hearing that. I, that 
it's so inspiring and it's so reassuring all at the same time. I think, I think what you bring to folks, especially kids, is so incredibly powerful. And so let's scroll ahead a little bit. Let's, let's move forward from today to, I don't know, you pick a number. What, where we want to go? What, how many years are we going ahead? Oh, shoot. Five? A year. A year? Yeah. Okay. All right. I, so what's, what, so what do you see? I, I am adamantly. What's your, what's your dream? Working on being mobile. I, I don't have a house. I don't own a house. I rent. I love my landlords. They're amazing. Um, but I don't want to be stable. I love Charlotte. It'll always be my home and my home base, but I want to get in a converted bus or van or something and just travel. I, I literally dream of doing what I do here in different cities and different states, just across the United States. Um, just being able to move from city to city, a community com to community and enjoy the people there in their community, their culture, the way they live in their space and to be able to be a part of it even briefly would, I believe, make me, I don't know, ecstatic. Like, I can't, just even thinking about it, I I can I'm sitting here thinking of all these different scenarios and colors and people and yeah I just that's what I want to do. Yeah. I I can totally see it for you. You know I so folks some folks who are listening in are familiar uh with Clifton Strengths the Strengths Finder it used to be called. Well Bunny and I had a chance to sit down and go through her her results. And I'm not going to get into all the widgets of that stuff because not everybody is familiar with it. But can I just say what I see in who you are through the language of that? Because to me, it resonates so much. And your combination of your unique talents, and I'll just name them for a second, but I'm, then I'll, I want to just talk about just for a second about what I see and why I get so excited as you're talking about this possibility because it's so you. So your number one talent is strategic. So you, so that trait is, is one of, um, you got to know where you're going in order to get there. So you got to have an idea of what that is. And once you do, there are a whole bunch of ways you can create paths to get there, but it's really important to kind of have a sense for what that is out there. Um, your number two is positivity. So you're naturally uplifting. Um, and that, that is so inspiring for other people. They feel seen and, and encouraged. Um, and negativity can be really like life sucking for you. So think about that when you were a kid, you know, and all the negativity around. I mean, I've watched the most positive minded people become the most angry people because they're not getting what they need. You know, they're not, their brilliance isn't able to come out. I love 
that your number three is adaptability. So that's one that that is is very energizing. It's almost like chaos is fun because it brings new stuff that you can play with or do stuff with, which is so great for an artist. And yet it to me it just speaks to what you were talking about earlier, which is like you you're creating, dreaming, and then reality sets in about you know, the bus you can't do the bus in its current form anymore it's like oh no but then you turn and you look at it another way or kind of let go and then there's new stuff and you what's so great about that is is that there's so many options right so many possibilities and then this way you have of connecting really deeply with people you care about it's so inspiring that's a the language we use is relator you relate to people not everybody don't pull them in you know uh, it it's it's an inner circle kind of thing and and you're wired that way and it probably was reinforced when you were a kid i mean the light, light coming through the doorway does not have you wanting to reach out to people but but then you want to get stuff done as well. And there's a talent called Achiever, um, which is all about getting stuff done. And you add those up, and there are more, um, obviously. But what that combination, uh, some language we use in that is that you're what's called a stabilizer. And that's a term that's part of another tool called core clarity we use to layer on top of Clifton strengths to make the insights even more powerful and relatable, which means you can step into almost any situation and manage your way through and add value because the way you think, the way you care, the way you uplift and, and the way you get shit done, quite frankly. The interesting thing about stabilizers is because they're good at a lot of things, it's hard for them to choose one thing to go after. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So they go after a whole lot of things. Well, once you find a thing or the thing and you, you, you just blow everybody away and yourself away at how great it is. And what I'm hearing and what comes to me, this is just John, um, is this opportunity to go do this thing that is so you and bring so much joy to the world that you want to spread it around and experience all the newness of that and all the, all that. Is that, does that feel right? I absolutely do. Um, my, my thing that I, I realized was something I wasn't even necessarily striving for. And it became, um, bringing community oh together. My gosh. And it was, Again, like I didn't set out to do that. It just became the thing. And I love it. I I enjoy it and I I love now that I'm working on my own personal art career. And I also love that I can incorporate the two. I can I can mix the two together and make a, a even better thing. So yeah, you you got it. That's that's the thing. I just 
love you and you know how much I love to hug you because I'm we're always hugging. I know I love you, John. <laughs> <laughs> but I just want to say that you have turned that light that was scary into something beautiful and you shine it on kids. And that is so beautiful. And to me, it speaks to exactly who you are and who you've become and what you bring to the world. And I just want to say what an honor it is to be connected with you, Bunny Gregory. Um, I think so many people would say their own version of what I'm saying. Um, and thank you for chatting and talking about your story. Cause that's, that's quite a story. Well, thank you, John. I, I love talking to you anyway. <laughs> I'll do this again if you want. Well, especially if the cat can sit on your shoulder and, and warm up. So we have this, uh, my partner and I have this hairless cat named Isaac Newton because he's smart and he's naked. And he loves sitting on Bunny's shoulder. <laughs> he's so cool. I, I love this cat. I also have to say I do love that I made my grandson just a little bit angry that he didn't get <laughs> to meet the cat. Well, well, he may be brushing his hair and his teeth uh, the next time. I, will, I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> well, 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 bring him over. <laughs> All right, Bunny. We'll, we'll go ye forth and, and be Bunny in the world. Thank you, John. I love you. Well, folks, our time's come to an end. I want to thank Bunny Gregory, whom I know you now know, and hopefully love as much as I do. Hey, if you like what you hear, please subscribe and tell others about it. You can also go to storiestotellwithjohnlincoln.com to read show notes and sign up to be notified of future episodes. Until next time, remember, it's your story to tell. Just think about it. Ciao for now.